Well, good morning. So it's been a while since I last spoke to you on Galatians chapter 1 and 2. I've been trying to somewhat exposit through this book. And since it has been a while, I'm going to give you a quick overview of what we've seen so far in these first two chapters of Galatians before we read our text for this morning's service. Uh, the title of the service, uh, the message is, Who Has Bewitched You? And so as far as what has happened so far, in chapter 1, Paul starts off by chiding the Galatians on having been given the true gospel. Uh, they quickly abandoned it for another false gospel. And now this matter was vitally important. It's an issue that's literally the difference between life and death. In Galatians 1, 8 through 9, Paul emphasizes the point twice in rapid succession. So we know that in Scripture, when something is repeated, that that's done for emphasis. And so listen here as I read Galatians 1, 8 through 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so we say, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Now that word accursed in the Greek is anathema, and it literally means damned. So those who would preach another gospel have blood on their hands, for they are literally leading astray those under their teaching. So in chapter 1, after we know the seriousness of the issue, Paul spends some time in the rest of chapter 1 and in the beginning of chapter 2 validating his apostleship. Uh, Paul, in Galatians, comes out, so to speak, with, with pistols blazing. Uh, the issue boiled down to this, that there are some false teachers who were teaching the Galatians that in order to be saved, they must submit to the Jewish rite of circumcision. Now, these false teachers were doing everything in their power to push their own agenda. Uh, they were even questioning Paul's authority and making him out to be the false teacher. And isn't that just what we see today? Uh, those who preach the truth of the scriptures are being vilified, while those preaching a false gospel grow rich, they grow powerful, and they're the most popular people in our country. And even Peter and Barnabas fell into the trap of hypocrisy. Now, these men were godly men, and yet they succumbed to hypocrisy of, of these false teachers. And Paul would have none of it. He withstood Peter to his face. Peter had walked with the Lord during his earthly ministry. And Peter, of all people, should have known better. So I'm going to read to you from Galatians 2, 11 through 14. But when Cephas, that's another word for Peter in this, this translation, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of, of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. With the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So then, Paul had no qualms about confronting his brothers in Christ. This was, 
Peter himself was not a false teacher, but he was embracing and showing signs of hypocrisy and embracing this, this teaching and distancing himself away from the Gentiles. Only when those who showed up um, might have judged him for it. Um, the crux of these first two chapters is given in verse 20, which is a verse that I really, really like. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So the main points of chapters 1 and 2 is that we are justified by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus and his works on our behalf, not on our own works. And this point was labored over and over again in chapters 1 and 2. And I would encourage you to go back and, and read that. But today we're reading from Galatians 3, 1 through 14. So this is the text that we'll be covering this morning. I'm going to read the text, then we'll go back through it. Chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the law, by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then, who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Pray that I would faithfully handle this text and that you would teach us according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. So, Paul opens with very harsh words. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Now, it is Paul's duty as an apostle to adhere to what he instructed elders to do in 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with great patience and instruction. So we see him here rebuking the Galatians. 
Charles Spurgeon said of this verse that Paul does not compliment them on being a very thoughtful, educated, and cultured people. Rather, he sternly rebukes them and says that what they have embraced is witchcraft. So if you remember what Samuel the prophet told Saul, King Saul, in 1 Samuel 15.23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. To leave off the true preaching of the gospel and run toward human efforts of sanctification is a clear display of witchcraft. So brothers and sisters, would you employ your own means of trying to be pleasing to God? Are there inventions that you use to worship Him? Are there false measurements of goodness that you use to judge both yourself and others? Then I urge you to repent. For like the Galatians, you have been bewitched. Not only did Paul say that the Galatians were bewitched, but he called them foolish. Now in our society, uh, the word foolish or fool does not seem to be that harsh. Um, After all, there are other derogatory words that I won't mention from this pulpit that people use to call each other all the time. And, And so the word fool seems fairly tame by comparison. But if you go to the scriptures... Um, you'll see how serious this word fool is. So I went to the book of Proverbs, and my Bible software tells me that the word fool is used 62 times in the book of Proverbs alone. And in every case, the description of the fool is very negative. So let's consider this small sample. Proverbs 12:15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 17.21 He who sires a fool does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Proverbs 26.1 Like snow in summer and like rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. So Paul called these Galatians foolish. Paul was not calling them this simply because they caused offense to him personally somehow. He used this strong language to shock them back into their senses. So in verse 1, he immediately reminds them that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed to them as crucified. It means that they had been taught the gospel. They knew the truth. Why then would they abandon this truth and run towards some other gospel? We see the same thing happening in today's church. As of June 8th, the date of the article that I read, Men who I've read and appreciated very much in the past, uh, Tabidi and Abiwe, David Platt, have caved to pressure to keep their churches closed in light of this COVID-19 crisis, which is okay. We've closed our church for a while as well and had online services. But they did this at the same time that they were encouraging their membership to go out and march in the streets and protest, joining with anarchist groups like called Black Lives Matter, Uh, in order to protest racial injustice. Ed Stetzer on the left here also uh, joined these groups in Chicago, and those protests quickly turned into riots. Now, the case of the killing of George Floyd is tragic. Um, There's a general assumption that, that his killing was a blatant case of racism, and that very well may be. I'm not disputing that point, or it could be some other uh, heinous crime and sin that this former officer committed against this man. Uh, murder is a sin, and what he did can only be described as murder. So in no way will I justify what this officer did to George Floyd. 
As Christian believers, we need to condemn the sin of racism and embrace all of our brothers and sisters, regardless of their race or nationality. And we also need to evangelize the lost, regardless of their race or nationality. But we must ask ourselves, is it the job of the of elders of Christ's church to march for social justice or to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? So I could ask the same question like this. You foolish SBC pastors, who has bewitched you? You're leaving the true teachings of Jesus Christ to pursue lawless rioting, all in the cause of stirring up racial tension and strife even more than it already is. So I declare to Christian pastors in this country and around the world what we read in 2 Timothy 4, 2-4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That is the message that we must proclaim. Not some social gospel that abandons the very word of God and rejects the absolute standard of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you doubt whether groups should ally with groups like whether Christians should ally with groups like Black Lives Matter, I encourage you to visit their website and look at their about section. There you will read their unapologetic support for the homosexual community. The first point that I read here that caught my attention is we make space for transgendered brothers and sisters to participate and lead. Next, we are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege. And that word cisgender means normal heterosexual marriage being the way that God created things to be. He calls it cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. That should give us a shock right there. We foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual. So, you tell me if this is the type of group that a Christian pastor should be associated with. If you want to hear what a good pastor has to say about this movement, listen to, words, to the words of Dr. Vody Bauckham. This is from ChristianHeadlines.com on June 19th, 2020. While Bauckham doesn't deny the evils of racism in the world, he pointed out that people, namely Christians, aren't pointing others to Christ as the only message of salvation. Now the message is, the answer is, something other than the forgiveness that we find through God and Christ. Now the answer is, somehow you have to do enough penance, he said. And it's been interesting to watch scenes of white people literally kneeling and bowing and genuflecting in repentance, you know, over their sin of, of white privilege, or, you know, bias, or conscience bias, or unconscious bias, or whatever else, he added. Ultimately, this religion is promising salvation somewhere other than God, Bauckham cautioned. 
And unfortunately, there are many Christians who are sounding like, they've satis- like they're satisfied with this. Now, though the, this article didn't mention Galatians specifically, this does sound an awful lot like what's being described here in Galatians chapter 3. Professed Christians trying to accomplish salvation through some other means rather than Christ himself. John MacArthur, in his sermon on June 14th of this year, said, he was discussing this whole matter, he said, one option would be to join Black Lives Matter. Join their cause, because after all, black lives do matter. Of course they do. Created in the image of God. And those who have suffered deserve our support, and they do. And they have suffered injustice, and they have. So should we just join Black Lives Matter to affirm these things? Can we join out of sympathy? Can we join out of compassion? That's not really the question. The question is, can we join and in joining express love to God? Because whatever we do for our neighbor is subsumed under loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Can I join Black Lives Matter? Can I be a part, if not a member, can I be part of their function? They are disruptive. They are rebellious. They are radical. They are anti-authority. They are Marxist. They are atheistic. Ending the quote of John MacArthur. He then goes on to say the things that he read from their website that I've already mentioned to you. Now I appreciate Pastors Bauckham and MacArthur. They're declaring truths that are not popular. They are faithful ministers who have not been bewitched as so many others have been. The next verse in Galatians asked a question where the answer is obvious. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, though the answer is obvious, it's vitally important that we understand the why to this question. I also want to mention that when the Scripture says, receive the Spirit, says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? It's referring to our justification. Uh, all Christians have received the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is what marks them as true believers. I came out of the charismatic movement and they, they taught this idea of some second blessing whereby believers are grouped into the haves and the have-nots on whether, when it comes to whether uh, you're filled with the Holy Spirit or whether you have the Holy Spirit. That concept is unbiblical. So friend, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a believer. If you do have the Holy Spirit, then you are a believer in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. But that is a whole other rabbit trail, another whole topic that we could go on and spend time on. It takes us away from the purpose at hand. But I do want to comment on that while we're here in this verse. But what we are looking at here is, we are, is are we justified by the works of the law or hearing with faith? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans three nineteen and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 
So this very chapter of Galatians, Galatians 3, makes the point very clear when you skip down to verses 10 and 11. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. So when Galatians 3.2 talks about hearing with faith, it's talking about a passive activity. Uh, There is a difference between hearing and listening. All of you who are physically able are hearing me right now, whether whether or not you're actively listening or seeking to understand what I'm saying. Even infants and the unborn are hearing my words. And yet Galatians 3.2 says that we receive the Spirit by hearing with faith. This is God-initiated, and when God speaks, we hear. In John chapter 11, when our Lord called Lazarus from the grave, the dead body heard the voice of Christ and became alive again. In Romans 9, 10-11, we read, And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had done had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. God's purpose is according to him who calls. This hearing is mixed with faith, but even this faith is the very gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8-9 through 9, we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So these are the very foundations of the Christian walk. Yet we see how easy it is to be led astray for these foundational truths. Verse 3 asks the question to the Galatians, asks two questions. First of all, are you so foolish? And the answer to this is also obvious. Apparently, they were so foolish. Uh, Apparently, many today are so foolish. Because they actually believe the incorrect answer to the next question. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And though they may not answer yes with their words, they imply it with their actions. So that's Paul's point here. The Holy Spirit achieves our justification. Do we actually think that we don't need Him for our sanctification? Neither does apologizing for things that you never did or marching to advance a godless agenda. Uh, We are sanctified by the Holy Spirit's working within us to do works in keeping with repentance. The question asked in verse 4 shows Paul's love for the Galatians. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now these Galatians were true, sincere believers, and they had suffered hardship and persecution for their faith. That's why Paul was so concerned that they were being diverted from the gospel of Christ. And I want to say now that I believe the same thing about Tabidi and Abiwe, David Platt and Ed Stetzer. These are brothers in Christ. They're not heathens uh, advocating for the destruction of the family. They're just making company with those who do. And I've prayed for these men and I'll continue to pray for these men when the Lord brings them to my mind. These are, these are pastors in Christ's church. And Paul was challenging the Galatians uh, with this because he loved them as well. 
So ought we to love our brothers when we admonish them to stand strong in the proclamation of the one true gospel. We've been given the great commission, according to Matthew 28, 19-20, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's vain to leave behind this commission to focus on social justice concerns. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now he who provides you with the Spirit is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The greatest miracles that he does among us is bringing back to life dead souls. Only God can take something that's dead and bring it to life again. So I ask you the same thing that Paul asked the Galatians. Does Jesus Christ convert sinners into children of God who will live forever by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, it's another obvious question that drives the point home. And the answer is clearly given in Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Christ fulfilled all the works of the law on our behalf. But he declared on the cross, it is finished. He accomplished what we never could. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I've said this before, but faith must always have an object. The object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. To have faith in faith itself is to turn it on its head and come back around to to trying to be justified by works. In this, the work would be the conjuring up of enough faith. Uh, But no, true faith rests upon the accomplished works of Jesus Christ. So we see in Galatians 3.6, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, the all caps words in this verse means that it's a quote from the Old Testament. You may have seen that on some of the earlier slides as well. And this particular instance is taken from Genesis 15, 6. The significance of this is that the faith of Abraham precedes the giving of the law. Salvation has always been accomplished through faith. We serve an unchanging God. The new covenant was not put in place as a plan B. Rather, God planned all along that salvation would be through Christ alone. Before Christ assumed human flesh and came to this earth, believers were saved by trusting in the Savior who was to come. On the other side of the cross, where we find ourselves, believers now believe in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. In John 8, 39, the Pharisees are talking with Jesus. Quoting here, it says, They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father, they said to him. Or they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. One little footnote in here. 
they were implying that Jesus was born of fornication because he was Mary was pregnant before she and Joseph were married. Continuing with the scripture, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we see that the sons of Abraham are not through physical birth. And though circumcision was given through Moses and not Abraham, this physical draw of the law presented the greatest obstacle to their, to their understanding. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are of the sons of Abraham. If the Galatians really understood the scriptures, they would have realized this. The new covenant is a spiritual covenant. It's a covenant whereby God has fulfilled the parts of both God and man through the God-man, Jesus Christ. God's promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore or as the stars in the, in the sky became true through Christ. So we see the, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So it even calls Abraham the believer here in this, this Old Testament, I mean, Old Testament character. All the nations of the earth are blessed in Christ. And uh, as I was preparing the message, it came to mind there, that truth, that children's song of red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And that's not scripture, that's just a little uh, Sunday school song that, that little children learn. But, um, but it's true that Jesus loves the children of Abraham. And those who have faith in Christ are the common denominator of them all. So children of Abraham are children from all walks of life, from every race and nation and tongue and tribe. And we read in Revelation how the throne of God will be surrounded by people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And so we are to love one another regardless of any of these physical things because we are one in Christ uh, and all children of Abraham. In the world, there is racial tension. But in Christ, those who belong to him are one. In the world, there's a constant struggle for power. But in Christ, we yield to the one who has all dominion and all power. In the world, people try to get to heaven. And if they even believe there is a heaven, they try to get there by doing good works. But in Christ, sinners are reclaimed by the work of Christ alone and trusting in him for their salvation. So what do we do to, or what do we say to those who insist on trusting in their own law keeping, despite the clear teaching of the Bible to the contrary? Well, we could tell them here in Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law 
to perform them. So guess what? If you're attempting to live under the works of the law, then the Bible says you're cursed. If you want to live under the law, then you're required to keep every part of the law, and yet no one can do that. Even if it were possible to start now and live a completely holy life from this point forward, which we know is impossible, uh, but let's just say for a moment that you actually could do that. What about all the sins that you committed in the past? There's no justification for those sins outside the sacrifice of Christ. So you may be wondering, now if this is true, then what value does the law have at all? God created the law. Psalm 19.7 tells us, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Calvin taught that there are three uses of the law. And though he used a lot more words than this, the summation of it boils down to three points. The first use of the law is to show us that we can never keep it and that we need a savior. The second use of the law is that is for civil government to enforce justice. And then the third use of the law is for believers only, and that's to show us how we ought to live. But even in that third use, we know that we will not obey God's law perfectly. In our flesh, this is impossible. But since we're not justified by the law, our lack of keeping it will not cause us to lose our salvation. Even so, for us to totally ignore God's law and live with no regard to Him is displeasing to Christ. And if we live in this constant state of lawlessness, then we need to be introspective and ask ourselves whether we truly ever trusted in Him at all. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. These two verses in Galatians 3 give a stark contrast, in case you missed it up to this point, to the difference between living by faith or living according to the law. If you live by the law, then you will not be justified. The righteous man shall live by faith. Why is that so? It's because that the only way that a righteous man is righteous in the first place is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an imputed righteousness. It's called the great exchange. All of our sin is placed upon him and all of his righteousness is placed upon us. This is the glory of the new covenant and this is the miracle of God. We don't deserve this, but yet God has seen it in his will to do that and to give that righteousness imputed to his children. All right. Um, okay, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Um, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The one who was born completely holy and righteous received the curse and wrath of God for our sins that he never committed. Those born totally depraved in sin and rebellion received the blessing of Abraham. Even Gentiles, descendants of nations, 
who fought against Israel are counted as among the children of Abraham. So in closing, what can we take away from this message? First of all, are you a believer? Then act like a believer. Love others, love other believers, regardless of their skin color, for you will be worshiping the Lord with them for all of eternity. Love unbelievers, regardless of their skin color, enough to share the gospel with them. You want to know what the ultimate hate crime is? There's nothing so hateful as to know the truth of the gospel and refuse to share it with someone, not caring if they burn in hell for all eternity. If they are to burn, let it be in spite of your efforts to give them the gospel. Let them ignore it. And then let God be magnified through his wrath that he pours out on them. But let it not be that you, you stood by and idly let them march blithely toward hell with no concern for their soul. Are you joining with anti-Christian groups like Black Lives Matter to achieve some common goal? Well, stop it. James 4.4 tells us, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Finally, are you trusting in anything other than Christ to save you? If so, repent and believe the gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your glorious gospel that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that though we did not deserve it, you have placed your love upon us and called us into your kingdom. Lord, I pray that all of us would stay focused to the great commission at hand that you've given to us, that we should share the gospel with, with others, that and not to be diverted with other side issues and not to join with, with groups that hate you. Father, I pray that you would impart your word to your people and go with us this week. Help us to be ambassadors for you and share Christ with everyone that comes across our path. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.